Hello and welcome to another episode of Tales in Our Times. I'm George. And I'm Janet. Also known as Mum. Hey Mum, you got anything in the uh, literary world by way of news for me today? I do, actually. I've got a, a book that comes out on June 13th. That's 2023, in case this is like a long time to... <laughs> Uh, So this book was called, and I think it's kind of, um, it's based in fact, but it's written as a a narrative by a specific individual. It's called The 272, uh, The Families Who Were Enslaved and Sold to Build the American Catholic Church by Rachel L. Swans. Oof, jeez, that's intense. Um, uh, Yeah, and so uh, this kind of links to what we're going to talk about later, but um, I'll leave that till later. Uh, So it's a a historical account about Jesuit priests who sold enslaved people, uh, set in 1838, just as a reference point, to help secure the financial future of what became, many, many years later, Georgetown University. Originally, it was just a school, I think. Mm. It became Georgetown University. And it follows one family, um, specifically starting with a black woman called Anne Joyce, um, who arrived in Maryland in the 1600 as an indentured servant. Um, and it follows her family line over 200 years, like I say. Um, and I know this is something that has actually been addressed by Georgetown University, the fact that that university was built on slavery, not really yeah. positive. But you sort of have to bring it up. You can't, you cannot ignore it. You can't ignore it. No, there's no getting away from it. It is a fact. You heard it here. Um, but I like that somebody is documenting that and written it as it, and I haven't read the book, don't get me wrong, but the way that the review, um, I saw for it was written is like following this one woman. So it's written kind of like a narrative. And like I say, it comes out on the 13th of June by, um, being published by Random House. That's my first piece of news. We'll be looking forward to that. Yeah, I think it it will be good. That sounds incredible. Uh Uh-huh. Do you want me to continue? Yeah, sure. What else you got? So I've got one other uh, short thing. It's to follow up on something we mentioned last time, I think, about the writer's strike. Um, The Writers Guild of America. uh, Union strong, baby. Yeah, they're still on strike. It's just over a month since they went on strike. Um, Wow. We just want to reinforce the fact that we support them. Um, they do have the support of the uh, Actors Guild and the um, AFTRA, which is television and radio artists, I think. Mm-hmm. So, Tagger AFTRA, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm hoping that by the time this airs or by the time you'll listen to it, they will have reached a positive outcome to that, um, you know, debate or negotiation mm-hmm. um, with the uh, producers and the people who are in positions of power the bastards um amptp assholes money pinching taking paychecks yeah that's that's really catchy george i like yeah you just came it works it works like a perfect sentence and it rolls off the tongue yeah yeah rolls off the tongue assholes making what was this our first p anyway so good i can't remember it paychecks to pay themselves Ooh, we're missing another T. Anyway. All right. We're going to drop that one. So, yep. (laughs) It's been a month. We are still, um, you know, in their corner. um, Mm -hmm. And just hope that gets resolved soon. So, back over. Wouldn't it be so funny if the next episode we come back on, we're like, just reiterating the (laughs) WGA strike is going on. However, we have changed sides. We actually love the streamers now. We think it's really cool to get six cents a play. Well, um, a no, that wouldn't be funny. It also would never happen. No, it, it wouldn't be funny. But just topsy turvy world. Seeing as you did mention streamers, um, the WGA did, um, and I don't know, I don't remember who it was, but it was somebody representing them did actually contact Netflix and Comcast investors to vote against. Yeah huge pay packages for top executives and they did um 
what they said, um, they voted against it, but it was something like theoretically, like it hasn't been firmed up or something, but it's sure. in the right direction. So we can only yeah. keep our fingers crossed on that. That's beautiful. That's the kind of action you want to see, you know? Um, thank you for those bits of news. I have a little bit, uh, just a tiny, two tiny pieces of news. Um, I just want to shout out rapper Stormzy again. This is the second time he's featured in our news <laughs> section since we started recording. I'm a big fan, but also because he's out here just doing the work to promote his label murky books. Um, he literally looked at his team after some of the success of his music career and said, I want to start a book label so that we can uplift you know, marginalized voices. We, you know, he, he makes a big point about like, um, how it's a, it's a fool's concept to believe that black people are monolithic. Um, and I just think the work that he does in that sphere is so tight. He was at the Hay Literary Festival, which ran from May 25th to June 4th. Which is um, Hay on Rock, Hay on Y in Wales. In Wales. Area I am familiar with, and I never got to that festival, and I really want to go because it's huge. It's like the biggest event in this pokey little uh, community. Oh, gosh, that sounds a bit offensive. It's a great community. It's just small. It's a small place. Yeah. It sounds like uh, an amazing event. I would love to check it out one day. Maybe one day we can take this show to the Hay Literary Festival. That would be nuts. (laughs) Um, Just something else on that. Uh, (laughs) I I read a little... um, interview about his time there while he was speaking and promoting his label uh he said the book that changed everything for him was vernon god little by dbc pierre it's just the first time he'd seen books be presented differently like there being two words and then a period and like oh you can you can write sentences in whatever format you want to your words are your own um i just love that kind of reflection you know nice okay so do you got anything else um, just a big old shiny middle finger to. Oh, I know who this is about. I know who this is about. I don't to look at our notes. The worst guy in town, Ron DeSantis. Um, <laughs> we just <laughs> we just want face in case you can't see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, also maybe breathing fire. That would be cool too. Um, just want to shout out Books and Books, uh, part of the book community in Miami. They are giving away 1,200 books that were banned uh, and taken out of schools <laughs> by the, this stupid-ass oh, fucking wrong. bill. Yeah, so they're just giving it away at a church um, specifically. And this is obviously a result of like what books are being banned, but the books they're giving away are specifically uh, educational in terms of black history and celebrating black authors, uh, one of which uh, being our amazing poet laureate who I think we've all heard being taken off of uh, the shelves as a result of Ron being afraid of books over 500 words. <laughs> oh, come on. 250. So, <laughs> so big shouts, just big shouts to books and books. Um, if you're in Miami, uh, I'm not going to shout out the place that it is, nor the date just because I don't want, I don't know. No one's listening to this right now, but just in case like some chuds, we're not yeah, d- real time, are we, so? That's also true. Yeah, it's probably happened already. So, retroactively, shouts to books and books. Um, but that's all I had for news. Sorry, I took up a little bit of extra time there. Uh, why don't we... Do you want to talk about what you're reading, Mom? Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm not reading right now, obviously, I'm talking, but uh, I did this... <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> oh, I almost... Up. You're right. I'm very sorry. I did almost just do a spit take, though. Ah! Because... Okay. What? That's just like a comedy term. Yeah, which is... A what? A comedy term. A spit take? Like when someone tells a joke so funny that you spit your mouthful of water out? I'm not familiar, but yes, I do that all the time, actually, and it's got nothing to do with comedy. I just can't <laughs> liquid in my mouth all the time. Sorry. Oh, my God. You ever, like, sneezed right after you took a drink or something? That is the worst. I give up like it happens and like, you know, you make an attempt to keep some of it in your mouth. But once it's happened, it's sort of like, whatever, I might as well just. Uh, well, let's. Yeah. OK. Anyway, very charming start to our episode. Talk about what you're reading. <laughs> well, I just finished reading um, is something that you read that we had already talked about a few episodes ago. The Dream House, um, 
by Carmen Maria. Is it Machado? Machado. Yes. Machado. Oh, I don't know actually, but that is that's how it's spelled at least. It might also be Machado. I'll have to. I'll look up an interview where she says it, and okay. I'll re- correct us next next episode. So yeah, so George has already you know kind of talked about this book. It's about a girl who has a relationship, uh, you know, a first, if you like, serious relationship. I think, and um, she's in love. She really wants to be in love. She's, I mean, something. So I'm not going to go over the whole book because George has already talked about it. But one of the things that I did. Um, get was something that you'd already said George was the fact that you could hear her voice she's amazing writes so beautifully I as I was reading it and I told you I read it in two nights um yeah I I, I just I felt everything so it's about this sort of like manipulative and um you know controlling character that she falls in love with and ends up living with and um and all the dynamics between them and it, it's not a positive thing, obviously, but every sort of like slur and, and insult and and kind of um, put down, you, I just felt them all the time. And I was really happy when I got to the end of it and she sort of like fucked her off, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, the, yeah. you know, and I can't stand. And because this also, I think this came in in our um, bio memoir episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's kind of a memoir of this relationship and um yeah so i couldn't put it down it's a great book george already read it and talked about it i thoroughly enjoyed it i would recommend it if you haven't already read it in the dream house by carmen maria machado 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 to be to be amended um, well by me yeah well, determined for us for us yes obviously yeah yeah knows how to she knows how to read <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? Yeah. To be determined when we ask her. Obviously, the world revolves around us. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two okay. dorks on a phone, a video call. Um, yeah, it's incredible. Her, it's her voice. Uh, it's like the pages are made of crystal. It's so. It's, and and that's rough, you know, because it is a rough story as well. So sometimes that really hurts, but it just speaks to her incredible talent as a writer. I think. And you know, um, like you. When you were telling me about it, you were saying, you know, it's quite a strong, upsetting story and everything. And I was expecting, you know, like there was going to be a lot more physical element to it. Mm. It really Mm -hmm. wasn't that physical. The abuse that occurred wasn't that physical. It was much more mental. Um, But that that was even more effective. I think that hurt me more when I read it. So, yeah, I mean. You know, not not to we're never gonna uh, try and draw lines between what kind of abuse no. is worse. No, no. But like, a re- it's a it. Yeah, she. But she, you know, makes a great point. She speaks about stereotypes and stereotypes of abuse as well as like that we do. You know, oh, you're you don't have a black eye, so you're not getting abused, abused. And it's like that's a that's a great point. It's very you know, it abuse is abuse. It's yeah. it, you sh- you should not you should not have to ever put up with that. If it hurts you on the inside or on the outside, it's still not right. Mm. Mm. That's good. Thanks. I thought so. Can I talk about what I'm reading now? Oh, if you must. Go on, then. What? Yeah, George, what are you reading, son? Yeah, good recovery. I appreciate that. I'm trying. (laughs) I'm reading The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida by Shihan Karuna Talaka. Um it's at this incredible mystery. Uh, it is set against the backdrop of the Sri Lankan Civil War, which took place officially between 1983 and 2009. Also very fitting for today's topic. Again, we'll get to that later. But um, I love it. It's about, it's a murder mystery where the main character is the ghost of the murdered and he has to, you know, recover from the trauma of death and navigate in as much as he can as a ghost to solve his murder and and potentially prevent others um equal parts murder mystery and very tragic romance um and also very gay uh which was a surprise i didn't i you know sometimes I, I prefer to read book descriptions, not like the reviews or like the little blurbs uh, on the on the cover or the jacket. Um, so I didn't realize until I was like partway through it that there was it was a gay protagonist. And I was just like, oh, wow, like, I don't know. 
just it just feels uh in a way comforting for me to see like queer uh narratives being presented without pretense like not that there shouldn't be pretense because you should also put pretense in there but like what a I hope that is always the case from now on. Like you find out about your character's sexuality through the reading of the book. Yeah. Um, I mean, like you, so you sort of started this off saying that it was set against the Sri Lankan civil war, mm -hmm. but in equal parts, it's historical fiction, but it's almost a ghost story. It's like a little bit fantastical as well. Cause you've got a ghost in there. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, we'll have to talk about ghost stories. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be like a five-parter. Anyway, so that's what I'm reading. I'm uh, about three-quarters of the way through it. Highly recommend if you like mysteries or, oh, I don't know, something like, hmm, what would you call it, Mum? Historical fiction? Oh, yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. So is that like a whole genre? Is that is that just what you came up with just now? I think that's what they call it in the industry. <laughs> Sorry, was that a bit <laughs> I mean, yeah, but that was what made it, you know, it was very funny. Officially, you know, people in the know would call it, that call the genre historical fiction. And surprise, surprise, that is actually what we're talking about today. Yay! We tricked you. Uh, Segways. Yeah. Transitions. We make Left them. Left ways, right ways. Up. Left ways, right ways. You don't know where we're going. Oh, we're giving good book. Um. <laughs> that's what I'm going to start saying. Those are my, that's my only positive review from now on. Like, oh yeah, it's giving really good book. Yeah. It's, it's good book. I mean. It's giving you know, good book. In the dream house, give, gave good book. Oh yeah, that gave some great book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Seven Moons of Mali Almeida. That's giving some good book. It's giving you good book. All right. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> in just a minute or two. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we're talking about historical fiction. Historical fiction, and this is just some blurb that I picked up online. Um, so don't quote me. Uh, but historical fiction does allow us to understand things that have happened at a given point in history. Um you know, it gives you the opportunity to be moved by something that is also surrounded by a specific set of factual information. Um, mm. And we can we can hopefully learn from events that have happened, if and especially when they're presented to us um, through a narrative. You know, as narrative nerds, we access information a lot easier if you put a little story around it. It looks nice, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Hide it in a little bit of fiction. Make it a bit more digestible. It's like putting medicine in peanut butter for pets. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the words of Mary Poppins, a spoonful of sugar makes a medicine. Yeah. There you go. A spoonful of narrative makes me learn about history. Oh, gosh. Okay, so, yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> this is a silly episode today, your face. Yeah, weird energy. We spent too long in the pre-show just like chatting, so now. Okay. Anyway, go on. Didn't mean to cut you off. So, um, hopefully we can learn from events in the past and, and we can be encouraged to search for meaning of those specific events. Huge events, disasters, whether, the, you know, good things or bad things, they can be inspirational. Um, I did pull a list of things that, somebody somewhere recommended should be included in good historical fiction. Um, obviously, it should be accurate. Uh, the setting should be reasonable in line with what you say you're writing about. Um, mm. Should be an authentic sense of the period. So the, the um, environment should be described in a fitting way to that period. Um, good, good dramaturgy. That's what that is in the theater. Say good dramaturgy. Good dramaturgy. What is That's what that is in the theater. That's like the so dramaturgy is like the background of a play. So like the exact stuff you're talking about there being making sure that you have an authentic sense of period. So if a costume designer, obviously designers would know this. What? You said period. What? No way, dude. Sorry. Time period. Are you 11? Part of the menstrual cycle. Go on. <laughs> Ahead. I want that one again. Dramaturgy? Dramaturgy. Oh, I like dramaturgy. Becky, Be Becky calls it dramaturgy. 
But it's basically, it's like doing the research. It's doing the historical research to make sure that you are accurate to your time period. Absolutely. And I think that just makes sense, really. Like I say, I pulled this off the internet, but I mean, it's, it's pretty kind of like, if you're going to write a story that was set with a background of, you know, World War One, then you better make sure you know what they looked like, what they were eating, where they were going, you know, during that time frame. Or I should... Make sure none of them say anything like LOL. Or... Yeah. Or where's my mobile? Or <laughs> maybe people don't say that here, actually, do they say cell phone? Yeah, no one here says it. So that's only if you're doing a bit of historical fiction in like. And also you have to make sure that you know what country you're in. <laughs> Always on target. Always on target. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to move on. Uh, also, um, something I think is key and not just in this genre, but you know, across the board when we're writing and obviously when we're, we're reading narratives, we want this to be in place, but sensitivity to the events of that time, you know, mm -hmm. you can be accurate and authentic without being offensive, without being disparaging, without, you know, while still acknowledging the people who were involved in those timeframes and um, situations. So, I think that that's key in most narratives, really. You've got to be sensitive to the events and the people that are around at that time. Yeah. Um, and the benefits of historical fiction can be that it, and then we already said this, really, you know, it humanizes factual information. It makes it nice and accessible, nice and digestible. It's just like a little snack. And, um, <laughs> and as individuals, we can analyze, take time to analyze and think, critically about how the past is affecting the present and i think what was it you said before george it's like a, a two for one special yeah double narratives you get two narratives uh you get the narrative of what actually happened in the history and then you get whatever the author writes up because oftentimes it's so absolutely unrelated you know what i mean or like it's it's like a sub narrative where where the the event is more of a backdrop and i know we're going to talk about some uh some examples here in a minute but um yeah it is it's like it, you get both you get a little you get a little two for one treat a little freebie yeah you're, and i love yeah reading a story you're getting like a history lesson yeah oh no i hate learning you know this not quite current but once was current events so yeah yeah um i was gonna say i love what you said about humanizing factual information like i i hadn't even really piece that together before like it does it makes it more accessible but it also makes you realize that like there is a human element to every history you've ever been told like it really helps you connect with the fact that people were there living just like you are right now through things that we previously you know understood just through history books you know kind of becomes data on a page and yeah. not really and who wants yeah. to read data on a page or yeah, who books. wants to read history books? Oh, yours. Yeah. <laughs> so with that said, um, should we jump into talking about some examples? Yeah, you said you had looked up a few of the ones that were in like the YA field, right? Yeah, I know I always bring YA up because I've read a lot of YA. Um, I, I just can't help it, so I just have. So I'm just going to um, sort of skim over those without spending too much time, so we'll have more time to talk about the adult books. Sure. Um, so, Fever seventeen ninety three was written by Laurie Halsey, Halsa Anderson two thousand two, and it's about the yellow fever epidemic in the United States in the um, late eighteenth century. Um, beautifully written, it gives you a really kind of graphic sense of the effects of these disease because it's a, I think it's a, a little girl. And she and uh, she basically oh, watches members of her family, you know, die, and then she has to go yeah. search to try and find somewhere to be. So it's quite moving. Um, then Moon Over Manifest was written by Claire Vanderpool, two thousand ten, set against the Great Depression. And so there's that book, and then Turtle in Paradise by Jennifer Alholm, which was written a year later in twenty eleven. Both of those books were written against the backdrop of the Great Depression, and they were both written about parents who took their child in a time of, um, oh, God, what's that word? Uh, Strife? Yeah. Uh, there's like a 
I don't know what the word is. I'll forget it. Um, it's strife. Just say time of difficulty <laughs> in the world when people were starving and everything was a bit shit. Adversity? Yeah. Adversity? No. It be- I think it begins with A. Adversity. Adversity. Yeah. Oh, well. No, that wasn't the one I was thinking of. I don't think. Okay. A time of... I'm really curious, but I will let it go for the okay. sake of the podcast. Well, right, make a note. I must see if we can figure it out. <laughs> anyway, so both those books were written against the backdrop of the Great Depression. Moon Over Manifest was about a little girl whose dad takes her back to his childhood home, I think in the Midwest. Um, and Manifest is the name of the town. And he basically leaves her with, uh, a, I'm not sure if it's a relative or just a really good friend of his. Um, while he goes away and works and then this young girl has all these adventures in manifest and um it's really well written you you and you don't get like um it's not like every page you read says oh the great depression the great depression (laughs) adventures and explore new town and and getting to know new people but also, with that feeling, you can feel it in the background, you know, that sort of um, the lack of, you know, food and, and supplies and things like that. It's it's like it's always there, but it's not explicit. Mm. And in the same way, Turtle in Paradise is about a little girl whose mom takes her to stay in Key West with her aunt. Um, and again she has to learn this whole because they're from i think baltimore or something they've been living before she has to learn this whole new environment and this was you know set in the 1930s when key west didn't look like it does today i don't think because i know that place has changed in 30 years um in 30 years years it's a bit that's how long it's been no in nearly 100 years right (laughs) yeah nearly 100 years barf 30 years towns changed because i recently experienced that it's another story um, uh, <laughs> Turtle in Paradise the, the main character is called Turtle She goes to stay with her aunt in Key West She has all these adventures Her and her cousins go looking for treasure You know, it's just It's very dramatic, but it's great And again, you've got this backdrop Of um, there not being enough of everything For everybody um, But a really well written book I really enjoyed it And then, I, and I highly recommend it Adults or young people uh, the last one I was going to mention on that list was The Book Thief, which you might be familiar with because it was made into a movie. Uh, it's listed as YA. I'm not sure if I agree with that, but then again, I don't make those decisions. Just like heavy YA, just like very sad. Yeah, it's like a really heavy book. Like if you drop yeah. a foot, you would cry. Okay. What? Because it's so big. Oh. Heavy. But also like heavy. But the like, subject matter is very heavy. So it's set against the backdrop of Nazi Germany. Um, it's about a young girl. Again, funnily enough, there seems to be a, a, a trope or something. Is that the right word? I mean, yeah, stereotype. Uh, well, uh, we'd have to get into the weeds on that. No, okay. Well, maybe it's not a trope. Then just ignore that. I'll ask like, <laughs> to take that one out as well. Um, <laughs> but Mike... <laughs> The book thief. Um, so it's about this young girl who uh, gets sent to stay with. I think I'm not sure again whether it's family members or just some people that her parents trust. It seems like there might be something a bit formulaic for the YA, yep. where kids get abandoned with estranged family. Yeah, it just get abandoned. Yeah. Dang. It's like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang with the child catcher. <laughs> Stop. Anyway. <laughs> Nazi Germany, and um, she goes to uh, these uh, fancy houses in the town, I think, where uh, somebody, the people she's staying with are the cleaners or something, and she she gets to know the lady of the house, and she allows her to read her books in her library, and she fights, you know, to keep hold of books, because the Nazis are burning books in piles. So, anyway, so that's The Book Thief, and... um, that's my YA list. George, why don't you pick one of the ones that you were going to talk about and I can give my moaning a bit of a rest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we talked about the regular A uh, books. Um, yeah, I... Uh, <laughs> a, yeah, a, a genre. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I love this. I love this genre. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I've read a bunch of books uh, in this particular like historical fiction corner. Um, one in particular, uh, The Hunger by Alma Katsu. Um, it's this very frightening book set against the it's background. Frightening. It's frightening. Yeah, it's a horror. Okay. Um, um, it's set against the background of the Donner Party, which I don't know if you've heard about, but it's like the the caravan, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, noting very convincingly, but it's it's like a caravan going west, like for, to reach California. Oh, okay, um, okay. For like the gold boom and stuff, um, the gold rush rather. Um, and but the Donner Party is about it was like a group of people who did not make it through the winter and like ate each other a little bit. Uh, just, <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They ate each other a little bit. Excuse me, I'm nibbling on the ankles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone gets one toe. You're allowed to give anyone your toe. Um, gross. That sounds. I didn't like that. Uh, yeah, seriously. Um, but it is very scary. Um, and uh, Katsu kind of takes it and and changes what it is that assails them beyond just the relentless force of nature. In you know. Appalachian America. Um, so how does this sit as uh, against our sort of topic of historical fiction? Like, did you get feeling of like that whole, you know, crossing the United States or did, were you totally yeah. in the scariness? No, no, definitely. Well, all the fear came from the crossing, right? It's so dangerous, but also the Donner Party's real. That's what I'm saying. Like that's an actual caravan that, there are records of yeah. and people have um actually big shouts uh cory dunn and cory whitby um, two friends of mine have uh uh done retellings of this exact sort of like concept like the story of the uh family trapped in winter you know forced to uh eat each other um but it's a really good historical it's got a lot of like really good um like we were talking about before, dramaturgy, just excellent uh, attention to detail. Uh, Katsu also wrote The Deep, which is another horror book, but it's set on the Titanic. Um, I was going to specify which voyage of the Titanic, the one. Um, <laughs> but it's like a ghost story. There's like a whole other thing going on in The Deep. Um, I didn't finish that one yet, but uh, it is very good. Uh, the Hunger is very good, and I like... I think Alma Katsu is specifically very talented at, at writing historical uh, horror. Interesting. Yeah, highly recommend. Okay. What do you got? You got any uh, A books? Well, so I picked one out that um, I read a long time ago. I know it's a book that you read. It's a book that's been, um, you know, probably a million people, everybody in the world. Well, not maybe everybody in the world. That's an exaggeration, Real hyperbole right there, but nice. Um, the Poisonwood Bible by Barbara Con King Kong King Kong, no, by Barbara King Solver. Barbara Kong, little known member of the Donkey Kong family. <laughs> Barbara Kong, yeah, her name is Barbara, her name is Babs. That's so good. Yeah, I'll write up a verse of the DK rap for her. Okay. Go ahead, sorry. All right. Barbara Kong solver. <laughs> okay, so um, this was published in 1998, which I think I read it when it came right out. Uh, a friend of mine recommended it. And then you said you read it in high school, right, George? Yeah, yeah. And it was like, as part of a class, not just... Yeah, it was required reading. Right. Um, so this was set in 1959 when the Congo was fighting for independence from Belgium. And I'll, mm. I'll be honest, so if you think that this was like mere 20-odd years ago, nearly, yeah, closer to 30 perhaps years ago that I read this book. So I didn't remember all the details of it. So the historical setting to it was not a surprise to me, but a sort of relearning, I guess. It didn't stick. But so um, it was set in 1959 when the Congo was fighting in Pence from Belgium, and there is this... U.S. Uh, evangelical evangelical minister who um, decides, you know, as a missionary, he's going to um, take Christianity to the Congo, to this uh, one little village, and he goes with the, all his um, 
well, white preconceived ideas of people in a a black country who need to be taught Christianity and they they don't take kindly to it. And he becomes overzealous. I mean, like he has no idea what he's going to. I mean, one of the key events like early on in the book is he tries to plant like a vegetable garden to feed Mm -hmm. And all the vegetables die because they're all vegetables that he grew in America, which aren't suited to growing in the Congo. <laughs> you know, yeah, this weird. Is how little this guy was prepared for moving from one continent to another. But also, you know, he has a very stringent attitude. He's quite a strict father. And you get the impression that his relationship with his wife is not, you know, like terribly um, affectionate or, you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he, you know, he becomes like obsessed with this mission and and pounding it to these local people. And there is, I think there's one guy who's like a teacher and he speaks English and he tries to tell him, you know, that the chief of the village doesn't want him bringing Christianity to the people. They're not interested, but he keeps pushing on and um, they have a really hard time. He takes his wife and his four daughters with him. And one of the four daughters, I think, gets ill and dies. Another one of them um, starts a relationship with the teacher and ends up marrying him, I think, much later on. But eventually what happens is I think the I'm not sure if the husband dies, but the wife runs for her life with her three remaining daughters to try and get them to safety. Um, And well, that's kind of towards the end of the book. That's a bit of a spoiler. Sorry. Oops. Yeah. But anyway. But it's been out for a while. It's been out for a long time. You probably already read it. If you're in, in high school. Yeah, in high school, maybe. But <laughs> again, it was a really uh, well illustrated. And even though I said I didn't remember all the stuff about 1959 in the Congo and Belgium, which I didn't. But uh, <laughs> I know that when I was reading it, one, I couldn't put it down. And yeah. two, the um, environment that it was set in was so alive. You know, mm. if, you, if you imagine like your sort of most stereotypical view of what a sort of um, African jungle type setting is, it's like that, but more realistic and more, much more colorful is the way it was written. And I mm. really enjoyed it, but um, you know, it was written against the backdrop of this historical event. And when, the wife and the daughters decided they had to leave the Congo, which was mm-hmm. pretty early on. She decided that this wasn't going to work, but he wouldn't have it. Um, then there was, you know, these uh, uh, military forces kind of going back and forth that they you had better stop with. spoiling this dang book. Sorry. Because okay. now you're just going off. All right. Yeah. Okay. So that's me. Yeah. The Poison Bible, it was historical fiction and it was really well done. So there you go. So, this actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play jazz on the uh, conversation we had talked about, just because you mentioned the, and it kind of like take us off on a tangent really quick. You mentioned like how she, uh, King Solver writes uh, a very like detailed and alive setting, and uh, you you use the term like envisioning like a. Uh, uh, a stereotypical like tropical environment in that part of the world and that just i know we were going to talk about this anyway i just wanted to kind of draw the link i it, it just made me think about um what you were talking about before we got on mic about the different formats uh like kind of the dangers of historical fiction and I was just thinking about that. I don't know anything about Barbara Kingsolver, but like, yeah. So big shouts to her. I do think this book is like well revered as a like cr- appropriate critical examination. Uh, but also just fair is fair. She is a white woman writing a story about like the missions coming to the Congo and like dealing with, um, yeah, like their fight for independence. So I just wanted to, I would wonder if you would talk about some of the research you did about like the, those, those risks as like we get different uh, interpretations. 
Well, yeah. So, I mean, like one of the things with um, with historical fiction, you know, there are so many formats available to us now to access reading material, you know, whether it's online or whether you're listening to audiobooks or whether you're actually going old school and doing what I try and do as often as I can now um, is reading a book in my hands. Um, is that it's possible that um, what is historical fiction today is almost being written as it happens because people have so much access to what's happening in the world. And I think we have to accept that that, and we've said it before with any kind of narrative, if somebody's writing something from fact, then the person who's writing it is the person whose opinion you're going to read. And in the same way, if, if people are writing stuff about things that are happening in the here and now, which obviously will become historical fiction tomorrow, then that it's affected by the lens that it's being written through. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially when you think that many of the players that could be around <clears throat> today that are being written of in, in, in written into narratives, they're, they're still around, you know? Yeah. And so they, you know, that gives them a kind of buy-in to anything that's being written, even if it's fictional. So, um, yeah, it's like that saying, history is written by the winners. I think that's very reductionist, but that's sort of where it comes from, is like the idea that we, we all, all of us have so many imperialist, patriarchal narratives in our head because they've been fucking murdering people for most of history and putting them in place. And saying the um, truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They were, they were wrong. We were right. Yeah. And that's... Mean, you were saying about, you know, things, opinions that you get on a single topic. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, just, like, look at how much spin happens now, right? I think we were talking about it earlier, like, January 6th. Like, we have so many, there are so many weird narratives about that. And not even, I think it's easy, if you know what you're looking for, to parse what is actually true there. But, like, think about the people who are sort of, I think it's fair to say like brainwashed into the whole QAnon thing, like that the narratives that are spun there are crazy. You know, imagine you went to DC to do what you thought was a revolution. And now like this whole fucked up community has turned its back on you because Donald Trump didn't actually commit, you know, like it's just so many things come out after the fact. And it's like, when is the appropriate time? When after an event is it, the time to start telling or creating reliable stories about it because the alternative is just forcing ourselves to retell it as we find more stuff out about it, which I guess is fine, but I just, I, you know, I, I don't want to complicate George. I really do. And I, I think you make um, valid points because, you know, like I say, with so much access to so much information, you know, people and quite, Rightly, you know, we want people to be creative, get more sleep, mm -hmm. create. But again, I think it has to be done with respect and sensitivity, you know. And when yeah. you know, and the same goes for when you're reading stuff, you know, pay attention to who wrote it, where it came from. Yeah, I think um, we're getting kind of close to wrapping for the episode. I want to talk about two more books, kind of talking about sensitivity. Um, do you want to go first, or uh, shall I? I was going to talk about the Ta-Nehisi Coates. Okay. Um, yeah, I just wanted to bring up uh, The Water Dancer. It's a book I read kind of recently that is a piece of historical fiction. It, in a lot of ways that are like quite painful to read through, it retells uh, the story of a man living through slavery, uh, a black man living through some of like the most egregious uh, human rights violations you can think of. Uh, but the flip side of that is that because it is a story from a black man's perspective about a black man's perspective, um, we understand the historical situation in a way that I think really plays into what you said about sensitivity. You know, we are, if, if a historical situation features the abuse and the, uh, you know, attempted genocide of a people, those same people 
should be highlighted when retelling those narratives. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's you can. I've read so many stories set against like the slave trade in the U.S. and a lot of them are it it it's like window dressing. You know, it's like oh, this is antebellum South. You know, it's just like a tone. But if you read something from an author who has like a, a personal vested interest in the history on the side of like the marginalized people, like you realize that these traumatic events are not window dressing. They're not like we were saying before, just words on a page. This is human beings whose lives are being affected every day in every way. Um, just loved the water dancer, a really, really beautiful story. Uh, sort of fantasy there's like a fantastical element to it um and i just i think tanaheski coates has such a uh fantastic like poetic voice is really the recommend one you it. said that you lent to me and i said i couldn't find it um no 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 no. that was the return of faraz ali which is also a historical fiction um, okay. but i just wanted to shout that one out and make sure we had time to talk about your last one. Oh, okay sure all right so let's just, um, the other one I was thinking about, a book that I hope to read soon, and I, I haven't read it, it's from 2015, and it's called People Who Knew Me by King, Kim Hooper. And like I said, it was published in 2015, and it's about a woman who, um, so the book is written with the backdrop of the 9-11 attacks, which, you know, isn't that long ago, I mean, it is and it isn't it's historical sure it's 2001 but basically she was having an affair um, before the attacks and then just before the the planes hit the tower she was going to meet her lover to tell him that she was pregnant with his baby and he never shows up and so the obvious thing to do in that situation is to run across to the other side of the country and assume a new identity and raise your daughter as a single parent um, I'm, you know, I'm always saying that. Yeah. Well, that's the, that is the move. I'm all about running away myself, but anyway, <laughs> so it's, but it's what the, the pivot or sort of part of this story is that the main character who originally is called Emily. And when she moves away with her daughter, she changes her name to Connie and she's diagnosed with terminal breast cancer and is forced to tell her daughter what has actually happened. That's the kind of, and it's like a series of letters that she writes to her past self. It's quite nice mm. um, uh, format. I haven't read it, I'll be honest, um, but I'm going to look for it. And again, the from what I've, the bits I've seen of it so far, the references to 9-11 are quite um, brief, like, you know, oh, okay. this was happening and you don't know um, from, again, from what I've seen so far because I haven't read it, um, you don't know whether or not her lover was killed in the attacks. You do know that her husband, who she left behind, you know, carried on and remarried. Um, and I guess they assumed a lot of people just died in those attacks because they never showed up. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was one I just came across. I I haven't read it, so um, if anybody has, you know, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a great closing sentiment. Well, um, it is. I think it is, yeah. Of our genre, this um, this episode, so, yeah. So that was the, yeah. one I want, the other one I wanted to mention. Yeah, I think, you know, I wanted to... I, I was just interested. I know you had you had talked to me about it before, and it does. It sounds like a very captivating story, um, but also like one that I'm interested to hear how the history gets woven in because, like, you know, that's pre that's pretty traumatic. Um, so, but uh, yeah, I think that's unless did you have anything else you wanted to say about historical fiction, Mum? I think that's about all I had. I think you know, like with many genres that we've looked at. Very similarly, they lack diversity because the um, the range of people that are included in a narrative rely on the storyteller's um, experience or desire to include those people. 
And so we just have to rely on the author. And I think that that's changed a lot over time. I think as the world has changed, um, writers' uh, commitment to include that sort of diverse populations has has been come more common but mm. um with historical fiction obviously especially you know the further you go back the narrower the lens is really because you know yeah. it, there was a time period when you know only like one certain layer of society was reading so yeah it's true so um it, it's looking at history through a specific lens but like I say, I think we've shown with the books that we've talked about in, that that isn't the case, you know, typically. Yeah. We're it, moving into the future now. In and the it's late like, 20th, 21st century, it's not, that isn't the case. Yeah. And we're the better for it. We're um, the better for it. And I'm the better for this conversation. I, I learned, I love historical fiction, so thank you so much, uh, for giving me all your suggestions, Mom. I have like a great new addition to my TBR now. You're welcome, George. And thank you for sharing yours because, you know, you turn me on to books that I wouldn't even look at twice. So that's, and I'm always better for it. So look at that. Uh, yeah. And until next time, we hope you continue to get out there and keep telling tales. Telling tales. Yeah. And go find out about some historical tales. Yeah. Historical, remember. You know, historical. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you figure it's over and out. Good night. Night.